Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can find me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. Um, this will be uh, our NBA Free Agency Review Part 2. Uh, we did the a first day's review of free agency last week, and this is Part 2, recapping the past week, which is very eventful uh, in the NBA Free Agency. As always, you can uh, listen to our previous episodes on the site, uh, Blog Talk Radio backslash the 94 Feet Report 1, um, or you can also find them on iTunes. Uh, so look out and listen for our past episodes. And So we are joined again by Alex Sparopoulos, uh, who is an OKC fan, who will give us an interesting perspective on how he feels on KD going to Golden State. So Alex, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Eric. Thanks for having me again. Glad to be here. All right, let's just let's just jump into it. Kevin Durant is now a Golden State Warrior, a team that now looks like one of the super teams that we have never really seen before. Um, a 73-win team last year, uh, champion two seasons ago. Now they add uh, the best free agent and a top three player in the league to go with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and just that system they have in Golden State. Um, Alex, I want to get your perspective. You are an OKC fan. Um, what are your feelings personally uh, on the move? And then we can get to a basketball perspective. Um, well, personally, I'm feeling a little bit betrayed um, by Kevin Durant. You know, Kevin Durant was one of the reasons that I became a first Seattle Sonics and then now Oklahoma City Thunder fan. Um, and, you know, just really painful, you know, for me as a basketball fan, just because it's one of my favorite players. And, you know, it, I really honestly didn't think it was going to happen, truthfully, because, you know, there was all those rumors swirling around about him, you know, him signing a one-in-one with OKC and then potentially opting out, giving it one last go with Russell Westbrook. But I'm also, I think, I'm a little bit more sad because it sort of indicates um, a new transition to a period of rebuilding for Oklahoma City. Um, you know, Westbrook is unlikely to resign and, you know, we might have to start all over again when it seemed like the future was so bright just like six years ago. So um, personally, it's just a very sad, July 4th was a very sad day for me this year. No, I, just going back to you saying the future was bright six years ago, I think the future is bright, uh, what was it, two and a half, three months ago, up 3-1 against Golden State on the verge of going to the finals and as most people uh, would say, would probably beat the Cavaliers. And then who knows what happens if the Thunder win the championship this year and, you know, add another free agent like Horford and, and they become a free agent, a free agent destination. Um, You mentioned uh, OKC and kind of this weird phase now where they're most likely going to have to enter rebuild. Um, Most people are saying that um, Westbrook will have to be traded. Um, most likely, I believe, by the trade deadline. Uh, do you believe they should and will trade Westbrook? And if so, what kind of package would you like to see them get in return? Um, I think that I think that they're going to have to trade Westbrook. And I think the sooner the better, just because you know you don't want to have to go play 41, 40 games and then you know start out with a decent record, all of it to just trade Westbrook and then throw the season down the drain, you might as well throw the season down the drain, get a higher pick in the draft, and then start to start, start to rebuild earlier on. Um, I think that they need to get some sort of younger players. Um, you know, there's been talks about them making a deal with the Celtics 
for Jalen Brown and then, you know, some of the Nets picks. I, I mean, I'm not going to be excited for whoever replaces them because in all likelihood they're not going to be as good as Westbrook is. But, you know, I just can't see them getting, you know, they were really fleeced by the Rockets in that trade for Harden. So I think that Sam Presti will be a little bit more keen to get something a little bit more proven and potentially more um, exciting and optimistic for the future going forward. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a move they have to make, uh, but obviously a move that Thunder fans don't want, would, wouldn't like to see. But with Durant leaving, they can't afford to have Westbrook leave next season as an unrestricted free agent and end up with basically nothing. Um, in terms of Durant from a, a basketball perspective with the Warriors, I mean, I've I've heard a lot of people comparing it to LeBron James, and uh, that's just the point where I, a point that I disagree with, mainly because. Uh, LeBron not only recruited uh, Chris Bosh to come with him to Miami, but Miami the season before was, I believe, like a 47-win team, and they had not won a playoff series um, in, in the past three years before LeBron joined them. Unlike Durant, who's not only joining a, the team that knocked him out of the playoffs last year in a 3-1 comeback, but also the team that won a championship two seasons ago and then set the record for most wins in the season to 73 this past season. Um that's where I kind of differentiate. I kind of see it as a desperate move just to make sure that he gets a ring um, and he has that on his legacy and kind of his resume, um, even though we know he's a Hall of Fame talent and player already. But in this um, kind of modern day, it's just so important that players have rings, which is why LeBron had to make the move to Miami. Um, let's just uh, take a look now at another kind of sentimental, shocking uh, free agency departure, and that is I'm talking about Dwayne Wade going to Chicago, um, his kind of home city. He's returning home, um, but as a 13-year uh, Heat lifer, brought uh, three championships. Two of them were with LeBron and Bosch, but did bring three championships to that city. And he felt disrespected by Pat Riley and the Heat management. He decided to just take the two-year, $47.5 million deal to go to the Bulls. Um, from a basketball perspective, I like it less um i would have liked it more if rondo hadn't already been signed um i just feel like a, a backcourt now that will be rondo and wade and then butler at small forward just has su- just such poor shooting um for kind of an nba that's just going straight you know getting each year progressing further and further down this like three pointers are everything track i feel like that team's really going to suffer with spacing with a, a lack of shooters and then I just think that they have too many egos on that team. You know, Butler's kind of, you know, we've seen him develop into quite an ego, having clashes with the management. And then we all know Rondo is quite the ego um, in the locker room. And then Wade has been known to have his kind of diva moment. So I think I could see this all clashing very easily. Um, And I'm not a Heat fan, but I would be absolutely shocked and stunned and not sure who to blame. But, uh, I definitely would look at Pat Riley and Heat management and wonder why they were disrespecting Wade so much. What do you think about this move, kind of like a, from a personal perspective and then from a basketball on-court perspective? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, I'm happy for the way Wade, you know, he finally did what was best for him. And, you know, he'd been putting the Heat and that organization ahead of himself making um, money off NBA contracts for his almost his entire career. Um, you know, I think there's something like he's never been the highest played 
paid player on the Miami Heat during his tenure, which is yeah. quite unbelievable considering that he was, you know, a main reason why they won the championship, um, you know, before LeBron got there. And he played a big role in bringing the two additional championships to the team. You know, I'm going to, but speaking of, you know, the moves that Chicago has been making, I, I'm going to go ahead and disagree. I actually think that the move to bring in Rajon Rondo and now Dwayne Wade is probably going to be, I think, beneficial. Um, you know, although Dwayne Wade can be, you know, at times, um, you know, sort of a diva-ish type individual, I think that he has shown consistently throughout his career that he's a leader and that he is a stabilizing force within the locker room and he's going to be a guy that people are going to walk in and automatically are going to respect. So I think that he could be, in turn, a good um, mentor or leader to Jimmy Butler, um, and he could help, um, you know, rein in Rajon Rondo to sort of form a, an, an interesting dynamic with that team. You know, we still have players like Bobby Portis developing and um, Nikola Miritic, who is, you know, very talented, um, so they do have talent on the team, and you know, in the East, you never know what's what is what's going to be possible. You know, they they were a 500 team last year, and you know, I think that these moves probably improve them. I don't think that they're going to go down from 500, but um, I think that it, it's good. I think Dwayne Wade is not is a good player, and he still has something left to contribute at this level, particularly if he has that anger from wanting to sort of perform after the Miami, his tenure with Miami Heat. Yeah, I mean, I have no doubt that the players in the locker room will respect Wade, and I, I do think he could have a positive effect on Butler and, and possibly Rondo. Um, my issue is that so the Bulls were a 42-win team last year. They're the ninth seed in the East. This I just feel like this they should have started a, more of a complete rebuild, if not around Butler, um, then trading him to get another package. And, you know, there was that draft night rumor that they were going to trade Butler for, you know, Chris Dunn and, and, and a pick or something or something like that. I feel like, as you mentioned, Portis and, and Miritich, this team does have a couple of young players. And I just feel like signing Ronda, who will turn 31 in the season, and we know Wade is 34, um, it seems like a very short-sighted move that will probably get them, at best, a second-round elimination, but at worst, maybe even like an eighth seed first round, you know, thrashing by the Cavs or something. Um, and then, you know, with Wade's deal, you know, and, and Rondo's deal is interesting, like a team and player option for the second year. And Wade's deal is a player option, which most likely he will opt um, out if he wants to get more money. Or even if he opts in, that takes up more of their cap space for next summer. And I, I don't know exactly what the Bulls cap space situation is for next summer, but next summer there are a lot of marquee free agents and Chicago still is a marquee um, free agent destination. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't like them taking up cap space uh, next summer for kind of almost what seems like rentals for a year to be a little bit more competitive. Um, but that kind of transitions us into uh, analyzing possible winners and losers of free agency. So I'll throw um, some team names at you and I would like, um, you know, you can tell us if you think they're a winner or loser of free agency and then quickly, um, uh, why you believe that of each team. So I'll start off with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, do you think they're a winner or a loser? I think that I'm going to put them on the fence, but if I have to choose, I'm going to say they're going to, they're going to be a loser. I think Dwight Howard has proven in the last couple of years that you know he can't be an effective team player. I don't think he fits with that Hawks scheme of you know sort of spreading the ball around and 
you know, a very good team dynamic. So I'm going to say that they're a loser, and they obviously lost Al Horford, which is, um, you know, which is a crucial piece to their, you know, their Hawks dynamic, and everyone sort of bought in to that Budenholzer type of way. I don't know if that's going to apply to Dwight Howard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, being a Rockets fan uh, for the past couple of years and watching Dwight be there for the past uh, three seasons, I don't doubt that he's a good teammate. I just, as you said, he does not fit into this kind of you know, ball movement system of Budenholzer and the Hawks, um, which is why the, the deals they made were very confusing to me. Um, Dwight will not get post-ups um, in this system. And if he does, that basically just ruins the Hawks system of kind of anti-post-up, just swinging the ball around, getting the best shot. Um, another thing, so Horford is better than Dwight Howard, and they let Horford go pretty much to sign Dwight Howard. They could have just paid Horford, what, I think it was $6 million more, and he would have signed back with the Hawks. But not only that, but they also were shopping Millsap around on the trade market, which obviously uh, a player of Millsap's caliber would have to be disrespected like that, and he is a free agent next season. And after being disrespected this season, and if they go down in the standings like I believe they will, and possibly, I mean, they were a four seed last year with 48 wins. I could see them being a fifth or sixth seed and getting eliminated in the first round. I have no doubt that Millsap will explore his options and most likely leave next season, um, which leaves the Hawks in a, in a bundle. Uh, and then they obviously they traded Jeff Teague away and they're handing over the point guard reins to Dennis Schroeder. And who knows if he's ready to, you know, take control of that full starting point guard role this early in his career. So I have to have them as a loser. Um, how about the Brooklyn Nets? Are they a winner or a loser in this year's free agency? Um, I'm a bit torn, you know, just because, you know, they have made some good moves and I think that they'll, they will get better, so I'm going to put them on the winner scale. But in my mind, I don't think that they are improved that great, greatly in in their off season. I think that you know Jeremy Lin is is a serviceable point guard, and I think that he is going to be an improvement over you know sort of the chair Jack mixture point guard mixture that they had last year. But I just think that you know none of these moves strike me as something that's going to start to transform the net back into the to get them back on the right path for a rebuild. I just think that this team needs to be seriously revamped and I don't think they have too many pieces that are going to be beneficial to them in the long run. But you know, they they did they did some good moves and like you, you can't say they had a bad off season, but I'm not saying that this makes them, you know, sort of a competitor for, you know, to be even competitive for the eighth seed in the East. I just don't think that these moves put them over the top. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think I actually really, really like their offseason, and, and I put them as a winner. And, and taking this from a, from a book on that perspective, you know, no draft pick this season and, and for the next possibly two seasons because of that Billy King horror trade with the uh, Celtics. Um, but they pretty much their, their offseason can be kind of summarized on banking on young role players along with getting established veterans. So they got Lynn on a pretty reasonable contract in today's market. They got Trevor Brook on a very reasonable uh, contract in today's market. And then they did, they made two offers to restricted free agents, Tyler Johnson uh, from Miami, who really, he played 30 games his rookie season, and then he played 30 games his past season, and he got hurt. That's pretty much all they're banking on, but they gave him a four-year 50 uh, or $53 million, um, which the heater may or may not match now that weight is gone. Um, but then they just made an offer sheet to Alan Crabb last night for a four-year $75 million, and it looks like the Blazers will not match. And Crabb is, again, 
a player that I believe I read a stat that 88% of his um, like shots or, or, you know, baskets he made were, were assisted, which means he really doesn't create his own shot. Uh, he's a solid defender, solid shooter, but he was a bench player and he, he did have a good postseason for the Blazers. But again, they're banking on these young role players to really expand and develop their game in Brooklyn. And who knows, maybe uh, Sean Marks, the new GM is trying to get them on, uh, reasonable contracts now and then try and trade them when they uh, expand their game or trade them for draft picks or who knows what he's doing. But, I mean, for a team, I mean, they won 21 games last year. They brought a new coach, new GM. They've kind of, you know, they've made enough moves to have a fresh culture. I think they're uh, a winner in free agency. I can see them improving by five or six games and then maybe the year after making that next jump. And they got to reestablish Brooklyn as a, as a free agent uh, destination. Uh, so let's move on to our next team, uh, the Dallas Mavericks. I, I, I don't, I don't like the Dallas Mavericks moves in the, in the off season. I just think that none of the moves that they did really are going to be good for them in the long run. I think they overpaid for uh, Harrison Barnes. I think that they are just trying to sort of compensate for their inability to get a marquee free agent in the past. So I think that. You know, I don't. I just. I don't really. Nothing that Dallas did strikes me as something that's going to take them in a step in the right direction. Um, you know, that being said, they still have Rick Carlisle's coach, and you know they're always open to making moves, and you know they always find a way to you know sort of play competitively throughout the season. So I think that that could benefit them in the long run. But Harrison Barnes and Andrew Bogut doesn't really seem like anything that's going to be like really wowing me to be. Um, you know, be like optimistic about the future for the Dallas Mavericks in the short term. Exactly. And like you said, with, with Carlisle's coaching and then that system, they'll find a way to be competitive. But I mean, marking them as a loser in free agency doesn't mean I'll, they're going to be a disaster this season, but I do have them as a loser. Exactly what you said. I thought it was just a desperation move pretty much because they were striking out on all free agents. They had Chandler Parsons leave Um and so I feel like they just felt the need to just, they had to make a signing, you know, Mark Cuban had to make a splash. And he did with a really big contract to Harrison Barnes of the Max, four years, 94, for a player who really has not proven it, to, proven to be worth that contract. Um, I'd rather have Alan Crabb on his four years, 75, um, or even Kent Bazemore um, on his four years, uh, 70, than uh, Harrison Barnes's Max. And then I like getting Bogut, um, I think Bogut's a little bit of a better defender than Petrulia, who switched teams and went to the Warriors. Um, but I just feel like they made desperate moves. And another year of Nowitzki, they had 42 wins last year. I could easily see them dropping to under 500, um, and with that most likely falling out of the playoffs because of the next team we're going to talk about, the Utah Jazz. I have the Jazz as pretty big winners in free agency. Now, they made they didn't really make moves that will like, you know, eye-popping moves. Um, they traded for Boris Diaw when the Spurs needed to get some cap space to sign Paul Gasol. Uh, they signed Joe Johnson uh, for two years, $22 million, which is pretty uh, reasonable contract in today's market. And then they also were part of that three-team deal, um, getting George Hill from the Pacers. So I really think they did a great job getting a stretch uh, four or five in Dia, getting some shooting uh, in Joe Johnson off the bench and some veteran experience in Johnson. And then George Hill, they solidified their uh, starting point guard role. Um, I think this team went healthy. They've got Gobert as a great uh, defender. They've got some good shooting 
uh, in Gordon Hayward. They've got some young pieces, and Derek Favors continues to develop. They had 40 games last year. They missed the playoffs by one game. I easily can see them replacing the Mavericks in the playoffs. Um, I had them as pretty big winners. Uh, how do you feel about the Jazz offseason? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree there. I think that they they took their steps in the right direction, and they brought in, they're not necessarily the flashiest names, but players that are going to help, you know, them develop and sort of, you know, be more competitive for that eighth seed and probably put them over the top. You know, Boris Dio, you know, he's up there in age, 34 years old, but he can still, you know, he has the experience and he, he has the know-it-all to, you know, sort of he knows what he can do with his game and he knows what he can do to make others around him better. Um, same thing with George Hill. I think that George Hill has experience and he can sort of be, you know, a different direction as opposed to, you know, Trey Burke, who, you know, who was sort of leading that team before, um, you know, playing point guard. Um, also Dante Exum, who's still, you know, really young. He's only 20, so he can sort of be a mentor for him going forward um, in the long term. So I think they made deals that are going to, you know, bring them leadership now, but also help them as their younger players develop into more reliable um, fill-ins at, at the, in the starting lineup. Yeah, I just think they made the perfect mix of signings and trades in this offseason to really balance out their roster, fill their needs, and and if healthy, there should definitely be a playoff team, possibly even as much of a, as a five or a six seed. Maybe even they get the fourth seed if, if injuries occur. Let's move on to probably a controversial team who's had pretty interesting offseason, the New York Knicks. Um, I have them on the fence leaning toward losers of free agency, and I'm only – thinking about them this way, you know, if you think about it in the long term, the signings they made this season really, if anything, prevent a rebuild from happening. Giving Joachim Noah, who I love as a player, and when healthy is is easily a top 10 center, and he was um, first team All-NBA center as um, recent as 2013. Um, I think when healthy is a great player and he provides that kind of tenacity and defense that the Knicks have lacked for several years, but giving him four years when he's going to be, I think, 35 at the end of that contract and with the injuries he's already suffered, he might not even be on the court at that time. Uh, Courtney Lee got another four-year deal, and, and I like Courtney Lee. And he, he's been very healthy throughout his career, but he'll also be, I think, 34 or 35 at that time. Um, and then they obviously brought in Derek Rose, and he's still young, I think 26 or 27, but you have to really – you basically have to throw up a prayer and hope that he'll stay on the court. So in the short term – Yes, the Knicks will probably make a seven or eight seed. They brought in Jeff Hornacek, who is so much better than Kurt Rambis, and they had 32 wins last year. I could easily see them getting anywhere from 40 to 42 wins and probably getting eliminated in the first round, but that's pretty much what Knicks fans want. They want a playoff run. They want uh, you know two extra home playoff games. Dolan wants more money, and Jackson can say, hey, I got them to the playoffs. But long-term, I think this hampers Porzingis's development. He's a better as a stretch five, and he obviously won't be playing that much at the five with Noah there. Um, and then I thought they should have been moving more towards a youth movement around Porzingis and, and Mello, but I just feel like they'll be anywhere from a six to eight seed for the next, what, two to three years. What do you think about their free agency? I'm not, I'm not sure. Cause, you know, like you said, a lot of the players that they brought in are based on ifs. If Derek Rose can stay healthy, if Joaquin Noah can stay healthy. Those are two big ifs for players that have a tendency to get injured and miss some time throughout the year. And I feel like if both those players go down, I don't think that the contributions from Brandon Jennings and Courtney Lee are really going to put that team 
back into the playoff, um, you know, playoff picture. I just think that I I agree with you. I think that the Knicks are sort of, you know, in this big market and they don't want to, you know, sort of have to go through a tough rebuild because, you know, all the pressure that they would receive, you know, being in New York and from the fan base, which is very vocal, um, it would be a lot and something that Phil Jackson doesn't necessarily want to take on at this point in his career and his life. So I think that it's a lot easier for them to go out and get two players who are, are very risky, um, you know, as their marquee signings and then sort of bring in, you know, two solid players in Brandon Jennings and Courtney Lee, but neither of those players are going to transform the franchise going forward. Um, so I think that, you know, this is just a deal that, like you said, it puts off the future for, like, the present. But even then, it's still a big if, if they can stay healthy and if they can make an impactful contribution going forward. Yeah, I agree. I just didn't like – I didn't like the kind of short-sighted moves that they made. Uh, so with a little bit less than five minutes remaining, I'm just going to name a couple of teams that I have on each side of my uh, table here. Um, and then you can do the same for certain teams or where you stand on these teams. But um, just quickly, I have the Grizzlies as a winner just for they really had to bring back Conley, and I like how they added shooting in Parsons. And, of course, bang, banking on him, staying healthy, he can provide another dynamic playmaker to that lineup and they get healthy with Gasol back and Conley back, et cetera. Um, I obviously have the Warriors as a big winners. They just signed the best free agent and top three player in the league to join. Uh, what uh, They have pretty much four of the top 12 players in the NBA now, and they seem like a pretty unstoppable monster going into the next season. Um, in terms of some other losers I have, I have the Blazers, um, mainly because I didn't like their uh, Evan Turner deal. Uh, they did sign Festus Azili to a, a very reasonable, I think, two years, $16 million contract. I thought that was a good move, but I don't like they threw money at Turner, and then they're most likely going to lose Alan Crabb, who I would have rather had, um, and then they might lose Mo Hark with their other restricted free agents. So kind of confused by their deals. Um, and then, obviously, we talked about Wade and Durant, um, you know, changing teams. I obviously now I have the Heat as losers. Um, they're going to probably have to match Tyler Johnson now. Um, and if they don't, they have glaring hole at shooting guard and obviously just lost their franchise cornerstone and icon. Um, and, and same thing for the Thunder, um, mainly because I think that this season, with if they played the season with Westbrook, which I don't think they will, but if they did, I'd still see them squeezing into the, um, you know, anywhere from maybe fifth to eighth seed um, with upper 40s uh, in wins, but now I mentioned that they're going to probably have to trade Westbrook and then start this full rebuild, so I have them as losers. Um, you can touch upon those teams, or you can touch upon the team teams of your own. Um, I also have the Magic pretty much on the fence because I like some of the signings they did, like Bismack Biombo, and I kind of like DJ Augustine as a backup point guard, but it didn't make sense, which is why I have them on the fence. They, they crowded their front court with Biombo after trading for Ibaka and having Vucevic there and Aaron Gordon. Um, so I'm not sure what they, they're going to do with the pieces they got, but I do like some of the pieces they did get, so I put them on the fence. So about two minutes, 30 seconds left. Just quickly, you can talk about those teams or some teams of your own. Yeah, no, I, I agree with the list you presented. I just wanted to add, I think the Spurs were a winner in the free agency. In free agency. Um, and I think that the Hornets when, were a winner. When are they not? The really? guys. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, Hornets, you know, re-signing Martin Williams and also uh, Batum. And then also I think I'm going to add to losers. Um, I, mean, I think the L.A. Lakers are losing losing in the free agency. Moscow Steel, I think, was the laughing stock of the entire 
um, you know, off season, and then I don't think Luol yeah. Deng has that much to guarantee you that that big of a salary um, hit. I mean, so I'm I intrigued by the Deng deal, but I I don't really get it that well. But I do. I I'm intrigued by it for his his veteran leadership. I do like, but I don't get the deal for that long. But continue. Sorry. But I don't think he's going to be a mentor for like Brandon Ingram or Daniel Russell. Like I think that those are two players who are not going to like listen to a Luol Deng, so who can't really point to you know great ultimate success in the NBA. So I think that that, that doesn't benefit them. That's all, that's all. Those are the those are the three or so teams that I felt that I should add to the conversation. There. Yeah, and and um, I also have. Uh, the Wizards on the fence, um, slightly leaning toward win- uh, a winner of agency. They made some minor moves, but I did like the signing of Mahimi and Andrew Nicholson. Then they took some shots. Uh, I'm not sure where they pieces fit, but I did like them. And I also have the Rockets as on the fence. Um, depending on which view you want to take, they saw brought in Mike D'Antoni, so I guess they figured, hey, let's you know get players that actually fit the Antoni system. Uh, being a Rockets fan, the past couple of years they've had. They've had they've shot a lot of threes but haven't made a lot of them, which is why they're always first or second in, in three pointers attempted, but like seventeenth to twentieth in three point percentage. So they finally got shooters in Gordon and Anderson, uh, who again hope that they stay on the court, but I do like how they fit in D'Antoni's system. Slated to be the worst defense in NBA history, but that's regardless. They'll be fun to watch. And they also brought in NA for cheap. So I like them on the fence. Um but then once again, Alex, thank you for joining us and recapping this past week of free agency. Um, I think we should look to do an episode next week in case any other trades or signings do happen over the weekend. Um, so everyone, you can listen to our previous episodes on the site or iTunes and follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Thank you.